Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I love it when we get uh, posts like this on the Freaks group uh, on Facebook. Samuel posted, I had a total cat moment today. (laughs) So a little backstory. We just moved into a new house, and when we got it, it was filthy, even though we've cleaned it. I still don't trust the countertops. So here I am making a sandwich and I couldn't get the mayo open with one hand. So I look around for where to put my piece of bread so I can get the jar open and I can't find anywhere that I'm not scared to put my food on. So I place the bread on my head (laughs) while I open the jar and my boyfriend walks in. He doesn't even ask anymore. He just started laughing and said, why are you like this? I didn't even know how to explain, so I just yelled, it was for the sandwich, and went back to the fridge. Yes, yes, that is a cat-like moment. I think that it was for the sandwich is just perfect. Yeah. Because, oh, okay then. Well. Yeah, yeah well. Well. That, that explains it. Yeah. I have to say that you're not the only one, though. Um, I found myself in a heated discussion with a bread tie uh, the other day. Yeah? Um, yeah, I couldn't you ever like try to open the bread in the bread tie, and you think you've got it twisting in the right direction, but it's the wrong direction. Mm. And then you reverse it, and you start going the other way. Then you find out, oh, no, it was right the first time. And I went back, and, and, and so I had this argument with a bread tie it was it was lengthy usually i don't get uh to argue with bread ties because by the time i get to the bread (laughs) the bread tie is no more i I, I get mad at them (laughs) it's been thrown away and just the twist and tuck has been initiated oh the twist and tuck it's much easier (laughs) just twist the bread bag and tuck it under put it back yeah the bread ties once they anger me more than once it's commonly referred to as bakery rage Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now I've heard that. (laughs) So there's a graveyard in Salt Lake City, and it's pretty typical. It's unremarkable, yet it's beautiful. Within the graveyard is a tombstone. This tombstone is both dark and ominous. Oh. 
It's a tombstone that's kind of confused people, but also intrigued them for generations now. It stands at the head of the grave of Lily Gray, and it's a simple, plain, flat stone. It's often covered in items left by visitors, including candy skulls and coins and various spooky items. Lily Gray. Lily Gray. Hmm. The tombstone lists what you would expect to find on a tombstone. Her date of birth, June 6th, 1881. Her date of death, November 14th, 1958. It's the other writing and inscriptions on the tombstone that have confused and intrigued people since the stone was placed shortly after she died. Underneath the dates is carved a sentence. It says... Victim of the Beast, 666. Oh, oh my. Victim of the Beast, 666. A reference to the Antichrist as described in the book of Revelations. Now I have Iron Maiden stuck in my head. Oh, no. Oh, no. Six, 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 the number of the beast. Ah, oh, get those dueling guitars going. Here's what Revelation says. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as of a dragon, and he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save that he have the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding Count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six, six six six. Yeah, I think Bruce Dickinson wrote that. Now, in one of our very first episodes, you might you might remember this, maybe not. It was eleven million years ago, it seems. Mm-hmm. I did an episode on strange epitaphs. Oh yes, yes. And I did touch on this, but I'm going to do a little bit of a deeper dive. I meant to get to this long before now because it's just. Intriguing. There's a lot to talk about. A local researcher named Nanette Watts said that uh, she's had some strange experiences by the grave. She said, quote, at the gravesite once with someone else, they said it felt like someone poked him on the shoulder. Other people have sensed a presence there. Mm. Some who visit the gravesite at night have even seen unexplained lights dancing in and around the tombstone. For decades, people have tried to figure out the meaning of this epitaph. What's the motive of this reference to the Antichrist on Lily's gravestone? Who put it there? Is it something that she requested? Also on the tombstone are flowers that are carved in and around the edges. Mm -hmm. These flowers are primroses, to be exact. And primroses are often referred to as the devil's lantern. Have you ever heard that? You you know about flowers. Yeah, I'm not familiar not with familiar that. Not familiar with that? Now, I, I know Primrose from the Hunger Games series. Ah, that's not helpful. No. So who is Lily Gray? Let's start there. According to Utah.gov, uh, little is known about Lily's life before her move to Utah in 1950. Her death certificate says she was born in Canada to a Wilmer and Francis Gray. Now, on her death certificate, it says her birthday was June 4th, 1880, but her tombstone says June 6th, 1881. Not clear why. Hmm. Probably just a clerical error. So using her birth information and her parents' names on the death certificate, uh, it appears 
that her family may have migrated to the United States from Canada, arriving in Michigan in time for the 1900 to 1910 federal census. Their names appear on that. It also appears as though she may have married and then divorced quickly somebody with the last name of Zimmerman. On July 10th, 1952, she married a guy named Elmer Gray in Elko, Nevada. She was 72 at the time. He was 71. Oh, wow. Speculation is that Elmer may have been living in Salt Lake City already. Uh, There's a city directory entry from 1952 that has him at 420 Angelo Avenue. Uh, Lily joined him in 1953. They lived on West Apricot Avenue. And from 55 to 56, they lived on Pacific Avenue. Shortly after this period is when Lily died. Now, there are many theories as to why such a uh, ominous message was carved into her tombstone. Mm. Many stories and rumors swirl. I know, I'm curious. About the tombstone. Some say that she was the first witch in Utah. I doubt it. Another story is that she was led away uh, from her family uh, by a strange man who then brought her back in a box. These are urban legends. Clearly, there's no basis of fact here. It's just, hey, this would be a cool story. Mm. One theory is that Lily died in a car wreck on Highway 666. There is a Highway 666, and it does stretch through a part of Utah. I would never drive on Route 666. Oh, of course you would. Route 66, yes. (laughs) That'd be fun. Route 666 is the highway to hell. (laughs) I used to live in a house that, and the address, the street address was 666. Anything weird ever happen? No. At the time that Lily died, she reportedly lived in the vicinity of the highway. So this theory is plausible. Still, we don't call roads the beast. But this this highway had a had a history of uh, fatal accidents. Okay. And it happened quite frequently. In fact, that might be a good episode in and of itself. Route 666 or Highway 666 and the uh, high rate of fatal highway accidents there. Mm. Now I have ACDC stuck in my head. Another theory is that Lily was somehow involved with Aleister Crowley's Church of Satan. Now I have Ozzy Osbourne stuck in my head. Crowley did have a church in Salt Lake City. For those of you not familiar with Aleister Crowley, he was a notorious occultist in the early 20th, 20th century. He referred to himself as the Beast 666. So the theory goes that Lily perhaps was victimized by him. It's an interesting theory, as is the Highway 666 theory, but uh, neither of these ideas hold any water when you, uh, when you look into it a little bit more. Further examination kind of rules those out. When it comes to dying in a car accident on Highway 666, uh, this seems unlikely based on her obituary and her death certificate. Her obituary reads... Mrs. Lily Edith Gray, 78, Pacific Avenue, died Friday at 11.10 a.m. in the Salt Lake City Hospital of Natural Causes. She was born June 4th, blah, 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 blah. This was printed in the Desert News on November 15th, 1958. Her death certificate indicates that she died of renal failure and and a pulmonary embolism. So 
That kind of rules out the Highway 666. Yes. The likelihood that she died in a car accident is slim, considering she didn't die in a car accident. Right. That kind of rules it out. (laughs) As far as the Aleister Crowley theory goes, Crowley died in 1947, which was uh, several years before Lily moved to Salt Lake City. So Mm. that seems pretty unlikely. Yeah. There was much speculation, though, that Elmer was the beast in question in Lily's life. Was he responsible for her death? Did one of Lily's friends or relatives intend the inscription to condemn Elmer? Now, Elmer's buried not far from Lily in the same cemetery. And there seems to be perhaps some clues on the headstones. I mentioned before Lily's tombstone had primroses or devil's lantern carved on it. On Elmer's tombstone, however, it's daffodils. Daffodils are used in funerary art and can have negative connotations, such as narcissism, self-love, and vanity. I didn't know that. I didn't either. But a more intriguing theory, and perhaps more plausible, involves her husband, Elmer, but not the way you think. There were indications that he may have suffered with some form of mental illness. He had several run-ins with the law, mostly minor crimes, but he did spend some time in prison. Oh, There's a criminal case file in Utah's 3rd District Court of Summit County from August 10th, 1937, that reads, quote, At the time and at the place aforesaid, in the nighttime and the said day, did did willfully (laughs) and burglarously, unlawfully and feloniously break and enter a building known as the confectionery in Comas County. He broke into a candy store? Yeah. (laughs) And stole an umbrella. Yeah. And he was sentenced. He pled guilty and sent. he was sentenced to an indeterminate term in the state prison of the state of uh, Utah, September 11th, 1937. So he he breaks into a candy store, steals an umbrella, and they put him in the who's gal for that. (laughs) The state pen. There's an application for criminal pardon. In Utah, his parole application shows a seemingly paranoid man with a very anti-government sentiment. Okay. Probably he was a little bitter about being locked up in the state pen for breaking into a candy store and stealing an umbrella. Right. During the hearing, he used an alias, Woodrow Lamb, when he was asked... Lamb, huh? Yeah. When he was asked what his name was, he dictated to the record keeper... Woodrow Lamb, a bum. That doesn't sound like a narcissist to me. Unless he was saying that to manipulate them somehow. Oh, that's true. Mm. He did not get released from prison on that day, which, again, hints that he had a bit of an anti-government belief system. Eventually, he was released, and shortly after that is when he met Lily. Okay. Now, according to ABC4 in Salt Lake City, when Lily died, the medical crew that showed up at the house refused to allow Elmer to ride in the back of the ambulance to the hospital with them. And this made him very angry. Okay. Could this also lead to the reason those words were carved in her tombstone? Did her husband, Elmer, who suffered somewhat from mental illness and carried an anti-government sentiment, blamed the ambulance workers in the hospital and the hospital for his wife's death. Is he referring to the hospital workers and the government and any form of authority as the Beast 666? Well, it did say taken by the Beast, right? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. 
There just isn't enough information to know for sure. But, but, if you're ever in Salt Lake City, swing by the Salt Lake City Cemetery and say hello to Lily Gray, June 6th, 1881, November 14th, 1958, Victim of the Beast 666. Oh, so it didn't say Taken by the Beast. Victim of the Beast, yes. Dang it. I thought I was on something with the taken by the ambulance and taken by the beast. I got confused. Sorry. Ruined everything. My information came from cool, interesting stuff. Utah.gov, ABC4, Salt Lake City, Find a Grave, and the Gray Lily Project. We just don't know. But it seems like maybe the most likely scenario is the fact that Elmer was suffering from some mental illness and he hated any kind of authority figures. Mm -hmm. This was his way of lashing out. This was his way of referring to authority figures as the beast 666. That's an interesting theory. Or she was possessed by Beelzebub. We don't know. (laughs) And now that thing in the middle, Jonathan Dipple was a theologian. An alchemist and a troublemaker. He was born in 1673, and he was born in the real Castle Frankenstein in Germany. In fact, he may have served as the inspiration for Mary Shelley's 1818 novel, Frankenstein. Working in his lab, Dipple whipped up a concoction of human bones, blood, and bodily fluids that he called the Elixir of Life. He claimed that the person that drank it would live forever. He would throw legs, arms, heads, and torsos, both animal and human, into huge vats and boil them down in hopes of, as he called it, engendering life in the dead. The resulting stench angered the town people. They demanded that he end his grotesque experiments or they would expel him from the country. Because Dipple wouldn't give in, he was exiled and then poisoned in Sweden. But not before he discovered that if he combined potassium carbonate with his elixir of life, it created a dye known today as Prussian blue. Someday, this podcast will be mailed to you on one of those newfangled eight-track tapes we see in magazines about the future. But until then, this crappy download thing will have to do. This is The Box of Oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames, and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's 
A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code oddities at checkout and you will save. Thanks Aura Frames for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I think I may have had a box of oddities effect. Oh? Yeah, kind of a reverse box of oddities effect. Something happened to me the other night in the middle of the night. You know, when I got up to get a drink of water about 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, something happened, and it was weird because Alexa was just kind of blinking like there's a notification. Mm -hmm. And so I went, I tried to be quiet because I didn't want to wake you up. I was like, Alexa notifications and she said it's not real what and i just went okay and <gasps> and drank my water and went back to bed uh, and then we get this email this comes from jesse well it was about 3 a.m i got out of bed and headed for my kitchen to find some ibuprofen to hopefully ease the pain enough for me to get back to sleep she had some neck pain as i neared the kitchen i suddenly heard a noise it was faint at first, but the closer I got, the clearer it became. And that's when I realized it was coming from my Alexa, which lives in my kitchen. The sound it was making was similar to the sound it makes when the timer goes off, but slightly different and not one I'd ever heard before. It was just going, doo-doo-doo, doo-doo, doo-doo-doo, 
I hadn't set any timers or anything for her to do anything, so I wasn't sure what why she was making the sound. A little freaked out, I said, Alexa, what are my notifications? Thinking perhaps that uh, there was just some kind of a reminder or something, she responded, you have no, no new notifications. Then immediately returned to do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. I tried again and asked, Alexa, what's that sound? She paused long enough to tell me that the sound is a song from 1975 and started giving me a brief history of a recording process and then immediately returned to do 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 still freaked and confused that this sound wasn't stopping i thought i'd be more direct and i said alexa what are you doing she responded i thought i heard my name do 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 finally i'd had enough i picked her up and i was about to unplug the damn thing but as soon as i picked her up the sound stopped I put the echo back down, took some ibuprofen, went back to bed. My shoulder still hurts like hell, and I have no explanation for why my echo was making weird sounds at the witching hour, but at least she eventually stopped. Anyway, love the podcast, really enjoyed the loop show. Looking forward to the next one. Much love. Best wishes for your sweet puppies, Jesse. Now, I'm wondering if more people have experienced weird stuff with Alexa. You had an experience with Alexa, and I don't remember what it was. I was there for it. I don't remember what it was. I don't remember exactly. But she said something weird. Very strange. Very creepy. And we have a, um, a couple of echoes set up in the kitchen you know, stereo left and and right. Mm -hmm. One was just fine, but, you know, now we have two. No, we have to have two for stereo. We also have a subwoofer, which is really great. One worked just fine. But when she said whatever it was that was creepy to you, it went, it kind of echoed from one echo to the other. Interesting. Yeah, it was not stereo. No, it it wasn't creepy. Slightly off kilter and creepy. Another reason why one was just fine. What you got for me? What, what you, what? Well, you know how that goes. All right. So you've heard of uh, something being done in a jiffy or someone being back in a jiffy. Yes. Did you know that a jiffy is an actual measurement of time? Shut up. No, yeah, it's not. It sure is. Tell me all about this. In, is, it, is it something on the quantum level? It's, well, pretty close. In computing, the jiffy is the duration of one tick of the system timer. Ooh. Interrupt. Typically, it's about 0.01 seconds, though in some of the systems made earlier, uh, like the Commodore uh, 8-bit, the Jiffy was defined as 1 60th of a second. So did they name it after the peanut butter or was the peanut butter named after that? I, you know, I, I'm not sure. Which came first, the computer or the peanut butter? Well, I, I can't be sure that they're connected in any way. Okay. Um, but I do know that when people say they'll be back in a jiffy, they are lying because there's no way they're going to be back <laughs> in one sixtieth of a second. It's pretty incredible, actually. So I got to thinking. Oh, it's like, Jiff peanut butter. I always thought it was Jiffy. Mandela effect. Is it? Because there's a Skippy and you combine yes, them? Yes, that's got to be it. Maybe. What are some other unusual units of measurement that I don't know about? Because I didn't know this was a real thing. A dollop? A dollop? I, d- I don't know. Okay. Well, that's just a unit of measurement my mom used when she was making It might be bread. a real amount. You may have heard of this one, though. A smoot. So a smoot is a unit of length named after Oliver J. Smoot. So he was going to MIT in 1958, and he and his frat brothers uh, were going to measure the length of the Harvard Bridge between Cambridge and Boston and Mass. 
So Oliver was the shortest of the frat brothers. So they laid him on <laughs> on his belly uh, multiple times so that his brothers could measure how many of hims made up the length of the bridge. So they lay him down. Did they just tip him up and flip him over? And I'm not sure exactly how that process yeah. worked. Mm. Um, that would have been the most fun, I yes, would think. Yes, I would have enjoyed watching that. The uh, bridge, by the way, is about 364.4 smoots. How many grilled cheese sandwiches? <laughs> Not sure. You know about this one. A hand. Yes. A hand is a non-SI unit of length, and that means not international system of units length, which is exactly four inches. I didn't know it was exactly four inches, hmm. by the way. Um, and it is used almost exclusively. <clears throat> And it's used almost exclusively to measure horses. So when someone says, this horse is 16 hands high, mm -hmm. they mean 16 times 4. Divided by 12, yeah, 5.3 feet. Okay, gotcha. What I think is really interesting about this is that a unit of measurement that we're familiar with isn't used. And this unit of measurement is used almost exclusively for this purpose, <laughs> which is so strange. Why not just say feet? Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand that. No. I mean, you have to have a horse calculator nearby. <laughs> it's uh, it's hard to get 16. horses that smart, too. Yeah, it is. It really is. Most of them just cheat on their exams. <laughs> now, horses are actually used as distances in horse racing. So you've heard of a horse length, uh, which they call a length because they... They all know that they mean a horse length because it's about horses. But anyway, it roughly works out to eight feet or 2.4 meters. And then they break up shorter distances in horse parts. What? So what? there's a, well, I, I, a nose, right? A nose. A head. A head. Okay. A neck. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's so strange. Again, we already have measurements, guys. <laughs> now, a lot of these measurements came from the your days, as we've discussed, because um, certain measurements were needed for very specific purposes. For example, in Ireland before the 19th century, a cow's grass was a measurement. It was used by farmers to indicate the size of their fields. So a cow's grass was equal to the amount of land that could produce enough grass to support a cow. Hmm. That was a cow's grass of land. That's fascinating. Yeah. What about a shit ton? Is that a metric unit of measurement? A metric <laughs> shit ton? Or is that just... No, I, I think I saw something about that once, and it is an actual measurement. No, butt load. Butt load is a measurement. It's the same as shit ton, I think. No, no, butt load really is. No, a butt load is a shit ton. <laughs> a butt load. They, I can't remember exactly. It's like 40 gallons of wine is considered, and they would put it in you know a cask that was called a butt. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of wine was a butt load. <laughs> Oh, that's a shit ton of wine. It is I'm a shit ton. Saying. I'm not arguing with you. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a beard second? No. So a beard second is used for distance measuring, but incredibly short distance measuring. It actually measures the distance that an average male's beard grows in one second. Wow. 
One beard second amounts to about five nanometers, and that's about one centimeter per month. That's incredible. Um, in the article that I was reading about this, they actually talked about how if a baby started growing a beard as soon as it was born, by the time the baby was like a year old, its beard would be as long as itself or something crazy wow. like that. And I was like, I don't know. So on one end of the spectrum, you've got uh, a beard second and on the other, you have a light year. Oh, but there are measurements much larger than light years. Tell me about those. <laughs> Well, there's the seriometer. A seriometer is an astronomical measure, which is not used very often, but it's equal to about one million astronomical units. So one million times the average distance between the sun and Earth. So that's equal to about 15.8 light years. Wow. Or 4.8 parsecs. Okay. These are distances and amounts that we cannot even begin to wrap our pea brains around. Yeah. Crazy. Not peas, but bananas. Oh. The standard measure of radiation is a sievert. I should have looked up how to pronounce that. And that's actually quite a bit of radiation, by the way. But one-tenth of a millionth of a sievert is what's called a banana-equivalent dose. Okay. That's because a banana is an organic material that contains a small amount of radiation. Even if the banana is grown in a completely green, organic-type environment, it contains radiation. But a very small amount. Yes. Like a nano-nana. <laughs> Wordplay is our thing, you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I like it. Um, so they refer to the amount of radiation available in a banana, uh, I shouldn't say available, but in a banana as a banana equivalent dose. Hmm. And the fatal amount of radiation <laughs> would equal out to about 100 million bananas. You'd have to eat 100 million of them. Yeah. Okay. Or just hang out with them. <laughs> a garn. What is a garn? So a garn is a unit used by NASA. And of course, NASA has to be incredibly specific when it comes to numbers and measurements, uh, because it, just a, a tiny, tiny number differential can mean life or death for an astronaut, right? Well, a garn is used to measure space sickness. Hmm. So in space, of course, weightlessness has a huge impact on the human body, and that's why astronauts take so long to prepare for space. It's largely because of nausea, and astronauts often get very sick during training, including Jake Garn uh, during his mission to space. So they measure the amount of si sickness in Garns. I wonder how he feels about that. I bet he feels great about it. Probably better now that he's not in space. <laughs> it's okay. You'll feel better soon. He, here, have a banana. <laughs> a morgan, uh, which uh, translates to morning in Dutch and mm -hmm. German. Good mm -hmm. Guten Morgen or mm -hmm. something like mm -hmm. that. Um, German I love, by the way. It sounds beautiful. Uh, it is approximately the amount of land that is tillable by one man behind an ox in the morning hours of the day. Interesting. A morgan. I wonder how far back that goes. I don't know. That's really interesting. But the conversion factor is about one Morgan is 0.856532 hectares. 
Okay. So there, now you know that. You're welcome. So Finnish reindeer can't walk too far without peeing. They pee a lot, and um, they cannot pee at the same time that they're walking. You know, they have to stop and pee. And the distance that they walk between pees is approximately six miles. So in Finnish, that is a distance known as a a poron kusuma. I apologize for anyone who actually knows how to pronounce that. <laughs> um, it roughly translates to a reindeer's piss. <laughs> it's an old-fashioned description of countryside distance uh, that works out to uh, about six miles. That's fantastic. <laughs> Merry Christmas. That delights me so much. And finally, a thom. So a thom is a pretty typical measurement. It's pretty ordinary. Um, it measures magical strength. So one thom is the amount of magical power that's necessary to create a pigeon or three billiard balls. Oh, okay. So that's well, there you that's go. how much thom you need yep. to make a pigeon. A pigeon or three billiard balls. Right. They're the same amount of thom. Okay. Well, that's wonderful to know. That's fascinating. I love stuff like that. There are so many of these that I had never heard of. There might be a part two to this because it was way fun to research. I love topics where you can you can find out, you know, things that we say that we've just always taken for granted. The historic origins of those terms it, it just fascinates me. It's great stuff. I love it. Like uh, like something being stove up. That's a main thing, isn't it? When when your car's got a dent in it or something, a mainer will go, oh, she's all stoved up. Where did that come from? Um, so the, if I'm remembering correctly, in a barrel, the metal parts that go around it or a part of the barrel that goes around the barrel um, is a stove. I thought and it was a stave. I don't know. I'm not a barrel maker anymore. Well, I mean, we it may be a stave and maybe we just say it wrong. <laughs> That's probably it's like true. the word... Uh, Gourmet. Yeah. It means it's awkward and uh, hard to carry and uncomfortable, but it's actually, in main weeks, we say gommy. Yeah. Actually, my mom said glommy. 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 Oh, wow. Yeah. And then if you want to pull on something, yard on it. You yard on it, Bob. <laughs> hey, the car door's all stove up, so you got to yard on you it. You got to yard on it. Yeah. Yeah. I love this state. <laughs> and. I love you guys. This is my transition into wrapping it, it up. Beautiful. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. 
and we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 